Hey, real quick before the show starts, this week we had a bit of a technical difficulty with Wax Track. It was, um, we were getting some white noise on it off and on. Uh, I did the best I could with it. It's mostly better in the second half of the episode, but um, sorry. Uh, it'll sound better on the next episode. <laughs> All right, enjoy. Welcome to Western Kabuki. It's the Alex Goldman Show now. Uh, I fired Wack, June, and uh, uh, Caleb, and it's all me. Um, actually, <laughs> what's happening is uh, Wack was going to be at a Bruce Springsteen concert tonight. Uh, the boss canceled on him. So we're all here. The gang's all here. But uh, we all... Uh, we but all... I don't know what we're talking about. Well, I do know <laughs> to some degree what we're talking about. Uh, how are yeah, you doing, we were, Alex? Uh, we were... Uh... I'm doing great. Uh, how are you doing, Wack? <laughs> Good. It's awesome to have read an entire book in the span of like 48 hours and still not feel prepared. It just really reminds me of college again. <laughs> <laughs> and this book, if, if I, I haven't read it personally, but it's not like officially out yet. So there's not even like spark notes yet. Nope. Like you can't even spark notes mm -mm. this. Can't even ask Chat GPT to summarize it. Um, uh, <laughs> it's the, fresh. The book we're talking about is Extremely Online by Taylor Lorenz. Uh, and Taylor is with us today. Hey, Taylor, how you doing? Hi. Thanks for uh, coming on the show again. Thanks for having me. When uh, when is the book out? Um, it's it's officially out on pre-order now. So you can order it now and you'll get it October 3rd. But order it now because pre-order, as I've learned from the <laughs> fucked up publishing industry, pre-orders are basically the only thing that counts for like bestseller lists and stuff. So I've heard a lot of people say that. Is that because like all the pre-orders count as like first day sales? Is that how it yes. works? Yes. Yes. So you'll oh. never have that many sales again. So like if you want to get on anything and also pre-orders are like what um, bookstores look at and stuff when they're like deciding what to stock. Uh. And yeah, pre it's it's all about the pre-orders. So it's, it's we're not supposed to say it's out October 3rd. You're supposed to say it's available. <laughs> so that's why that's why. Well, maybe that's not why. But like Tucker Carlson had that. Um, I think it was like a memoir come out recently and it did like really bad numbers. I didn't realize that was all based off of. um like uh, pre-purchases. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to get more than 3,000 <laughs> and I'll beat Tucker. So let's go. I think, I think you'll easily beat that. He's really fallen off. It's, it's quite astonishing. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what the book is actually about and uh, why, why the hosts of Western Kabuki, uh, mostly being me these days, uh, would want to talk to you? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so the book, I mean, the book is sort of a social history of the rise of the social internet. Um, so from blogging culture to, you know, Vine to TikTok, it's it's about kind of how um, how the social media industry emerged and, and more specifically sort of how the content creator industry emerged and how this like half a trillion dollar industry was shaped. And I cover tech from the user side. I think there's been a lot of 
um, books that I read, all of them that are like, you know, the YouTube history book or like the Instagram book or whatever. But I kind of wanted to like zoom out and just talk about like, you know, the first 20 years of uh, this sort of social media landscape um, and and what it's done and the industry that like the sort of the influential content creators that shaped, you know, the, the culture, um, I guess you could say. And also just like revisit some like past stuff. Like it's very much like a, kind of an internet history book, but I think it's it's full of a lot of nostalgia. I don't know if any of you guys did actually read it or not yet. Yeah. Um, uh, you did? Okay. Uh, Caleb has read the most of it. I have read some of it. Wack is just here for, oh, he's along for the ride. And uh, <laughs> let's fucking go, bro. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, the way I was describing it when um, Alex and June and I were having our little production meeting about this was like, like if a Game of Thrones maester wrote of the internet for a king, it would be like this, <laughs> kind of. It's, it was really fun. Uh, obviously, probably not unsurprisingly, my favorite chapter was was about Twitter. And, you know, because I'm getting up there. I'm pretty old. It was some of the early stuff you were talking about from like the uh, the Earth, San Francisco earthquake and some of the just like the little events that were you were mentioning. I was like, oh, man, I remember that. I'm, I'm old now. The Bronx <laughs> Zoo Cobra like yes. all those like parody accounts yeah. used to make a parody account like the Shaq every parody account yeah that was when i remembered <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of like it it sort of like talks about just the evolution of this whole industry that we all now like marinate in all day um so i yeah i think people will find it interesting also it's just like i, I really hate the corporate silicon valley narrative about the internet that's like you know, oh, these like tech geniuses came and bestowed these products, you know, <laughs> upon us. And, um, you know, I think if you read my book, you see actually it was really messy. And often it was like you content creators and users and just people that sort of like hacked the things together, like kind of like made their way through the internet or like pioneered different forms of expression online and ended up really shaping these products. So, yeah, I mean, uh, an example of that, like that kind of just happened and still kind of happening was is, is with we've talked about it a little bit, but like Blue Sky, like Blue Sky was around for a little bit and it was like just mostly tech people and like crypto people on there. And then a bunch of like power users from Twitter and like posters, like shit posters joined it. And then all of a sudden it, it kind of was ascendant in a way and kind of has taken the shape that it is now. Like it's it's the the tech people might like build build the frame, but like without people that are actually funny or like <laughs> want to use what they they build. Like it's it's or give not people really, a reason to use it. You yeah, know, like have a reason to like interact with people who are interesting <laughs> to interact with or good to interact with. <laughs> yeah. um, it's really crazy what could happen when somebody doesn't understand what that means at all. Well, also like I mean, Blue Sky is a perfect example because it is. Like I talk about this in the book, but it's like this notion of like user-driven product development where it's like the users are the ones holding the platform accountable, you know, being like, why don't you have these features yet? Or like, why are you allowing people to have slurs in their username or whatever <laughs> it is, you know, like, um, because Silicon Valley people don't always, they just, they're not great with social tools. And I think it's the creative energy of people online that really fuels these platforms and makes them successful as we've seen like you know i think that's why people like elon musk are so resentful um because they they want it to be the other way around they kind of just want to be little dictators i mean uh, the stem brain <laughs> <laughs> i mean the thing that i i feel like is um they believe that if they just build something that is like neutral enough everybody will come along and enjoy it like i find the the, the elon musk method of um 
of mo- of like moderation and of running Twitter to be really fucking it's like lead it's like the tail wagging the dog always it doesn't make any sense and it continues to be a place where people congregate in spite of him not because of like any of the innovations he's made um, also it's not neutral oh yeah like, I he's guess making, yes you're right he's making it like a far right you know playpen but you know like ostensibly his thing is like well you know i don't want to tell you know andrew anglin he can't say stuff he should be able to come back and blah 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 like (laughs) yeah Yeah. i'm very into like i mean i actually think moderation just spending a lot of time getting community guidelines violations on instagram like i'm not a huge fan of like the top-down tech company moderations but I do think that it what we need is users deserve more control over their online experience. And like users should have a lot more control on these social platforms of like the the ways they interact. Like sometimes you want to get in some drama and like scrap with people or, <laughs> you know, you don't care. And some days you just, you don't want to deal with any of that. And you just kind of want to, you know, have a quiet time. So I think you... I think like users deserve far more controls over their own experiences on these platforms. You should yeah, be able I mean, to set it like uh, on video games where you can set yourself to PVP or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the downside of like Threads, in my opinion. Is is Threads doesn't have PVP. The one time I started tried to uh, cause drama on there, my post got removed for being like too mean, which wasn't it really your post wasn't. Just like that you were that you did heroin in an Arby's bathroom or something. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was one of the two. That was one of the two that got removed. It, like there were two, there was a day where two of my posts got removed, and yeah, one of them was the the doing heroin in the Arby's bathroom one, um, and I was like, this just kind of like sucks. I don't know. It's it. I, I can't like post, you know. But I mean, yeah. the other thing is like no moderation on a plat on like a platform that is the size of all of the platforms we have now, right? Scales really like even user moderation. Like, how do you scale user user moderation on? Twitter or Facebook? Are you just saying like people should be able to shut off notifications or shut off people's ability to reach them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if I, sometimes I just want to come on and share my article and I actually don't want to hear from a single person. Right. And I should be able to share my link and shut down comments. And (laughs) if that's how I want to engage, that's how I can engage. You know, like I, I hate this notion of like everything is up for, you know, debate or like, you know, everyone can weigh in in every single way, like DMs and quote tweets and stuff. I want to turn all that off sometimes. I want an away message as well for like, I just, you know, like I just want to be like, don't reach me right now. Don't tweet at me right now. I'm just lurking <laughs> or something like ghost don't mode. Add. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I mean, I don't know. Like it, the moderation thing is always hard. I mean, obviously Reddit has like a really robust community moderated model. And I think people on different subreddits have different understandings of the norms within those communities. I just think like a top-down approach, usually the, the, these tech companies are just not good at enforcing it. They just unleash these AI systems that sort of, yeah, ban funny jokes and still somehow allow all the Nazis. So Right, they all, they all seem backwards, basically. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I found kind of interesting in this book is like, you know, you you talk about influencers, people coming up on the Internet and like, you know, r- wrangling pretty large audiences. Um, I count you among those people. And like you there's not very much like Taylor in this book. It's a lot more about people outside of you. I thought that there would be some like personal no, I'm not insane. <laughs> you don't want to be. You don't want to be known. You don't. You don't yeah. want to reveal your soul. <laughs> don't perceive bit. me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, was, so we really thought we were going to get maybe like a love letter to what Twitter used to be, or like 
your experience is like coming up, like we talked about a little bit on the last episodes, like this is all, which is very funny because, um, you know, the way that you are perceived in certain circles on the internet is the exact opposite of, you know, this like, this is completely agnostic of any sort of opinion. This is all just like, this is what happened. This is who this happened to like in a almost fairly linear fashion, yeah. you know? Yeah, so I, I liked it for for it was worth it. it. Took me a while. I was like, okay, I, I'm just, I don't know, dumb. I was reading. I was like, okay, Taylor, like you've given me enough like preamble. I understand what the internet is. When are you going to tell me like what what's your scoop on this or whatever? Right? You know, I was waiting for you to, to oh. kind of come in. Um, <laughs> but no, that actually worked out way. I think in a way like way better because, um, you know being able to, like I said, almost the nostalgia factor of like, I remember when this happened or kind of, uh, I, you know, I, I missed Friendster or whatever, but the whole like MySpace thing. And I can't remember the, the young lady's name, the 13 year old who ended up getting like 25,000 followers. I was laughing because I, I knew a bunch of people like that in real life that when we were just kids had thousands of friends on MySpace and stuff like that. <laughs> it was very funny. Yeah. I like people to be able to like put themselves in my work and kind of make their own judgment. I mean, all my stories are like that. I never put myself in my stories either. And I, I mean, yeah, people that say that, yeah. I mean, I don't talk about myself like other than on podcasts and stuff, but like my work is always about sort of talking about the internet. It, it's always very funny though, because I you can tell when people have never read anything exactly. I've read because they're like, she's a narcissist <laughs> talking about herself. It's like, have you read literally? I would, I've never put the word I in a story ever. I was going to say, if, if you've uh, paid, like if if you've only learned who Taylor Lorenz is from like right wing circles, you'd think you're like an opinion columnist or like a yeah, yeah exactly. or, or like a blogger, like a, a, a I was, personal blogger, like lifestyle blogger. I was yeah. going to ask, like, um, have because the book is available now. Have you gotten any <laughs> negative reviews from people already that are just like, she's a liar and she yes. docks clips yes. of TikTok? Yeah. Look okay. at my Goodreads, my fucking Goodreads rating. They were they were downranking it in May when I was still finishing the draft. <laughs> that God, what a so bunch hard. of psychos. What yeah. a bunch of sad motherfuckers. I, love I want that. them to get really mad and ban it. So then maybe, you know. Or to get to get them buying it to burn it or something. <laughs> I, I take exception to this being in my child's library. It needs to be uh, uh, <laughs> reviewed by the state board. I uh, I, I don't want to dwell on this, but I do. I have wondered, and I have thought about it, and like genuinely pondered this, and I don't have a satisfactory answer. What do you think it is about you, Taylor, that makes people lose their fucking minds? <laughs> you, look, I don't know. Look. I would say that the strongest opinion you hold on the internet that like is not held by many millions of other people, like the strongest <laughs> ones that you express that maybe are not consensus among at least a half the internet are a people should still be masking and B offices shouldn't be so cold. That's it. Those are the two strongest <laughs> opinions you hold. That oh, you express the first that drama. Okay. Okay. Wait, no, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Do not let her get the next word in. That's fucking bananas. Taylor, the thermostat belongs between let's say 68 and 78. Um, <laughs> Like that's psychotic. And if I if I have to send you a picture of my thermostat right now, it's at 87. Oh, that's my God. That's fucked up, bro. So no, this man. isn't a bit. You really are just like I a lizard on a hot heat. rock. Okay. And I have to tell you, I grew up in the Northeast and my mother was like, what is the matter with you? Like you were meant to live, you know, in the tropics. I've always loved the heat. I definitely have some like weird metabolic issue. Like when I was younger, they were like, why, do, why does she never get 
um, too hot. And I think I've adapted and I'm going to be the last woman standing um, when global warming comes for us all. And I just have to say, because people ask me a lot about like COVID stuff, I am not a personal shamer at all. I think everyone has a different risk tolerance. I think actually most people, if you ask them like, hey, would you mask around like your fucking elderly relative or whatever? They probably would if they're not like a huge asshole. I think we need like, I think we need systemic problems to fix COVID. I'm severely immunocompromised. It's like, I don't, I don't think everyone masking forever is going, the solution. The solution is like clean air, air filtering, healthcare, paid time off, like all these like big systemic things. And it's really annoying that like these right wingers like, ah, oh, she just wants everyone to mask forever. It's like, yeah, I mask everywhere because <laughs> like I'm immunocompromised. But like, you know, I would actually much prefer like if the world was just kind of made slightly safer and we didn't just like let everyone go to, you know, be sick. And not just with COVID, with everything. Like, I don't know, I used to work retail and like, you just had, you, it's like these jobs you just have to show up at even when you're sick. That's fucked up. We need paid time off. Even in what what people refer to as a nominally liberal city like New York, people still, like if you walk down the street with a mask on, occasionally will shout at you about wearing yeah, a mask. it's weird. It's fucking wild, dude. Mind your own business. Yeah, people are weird, but I, whatever. I'm like, I'm wearing a mask to stay safe, but also like, it's such a fucking easy thing to do. Like, I don't even want to hear about the, the drama. And it's also like, I don't have patience for people that are like, no, I'm not going to mask. It's like, okay, fine. So are you are you advocating for healthcare for people then? Are you advocating for, you know, free vaccines? Like, what are you doing then to like make the world, you know, somewhat livable for vulnerable people? It's fucked up. So. Um, but but getting back to my original question, what why do you think that do you have like an an operating theory about why you have become the sigil of like <laughs> right wing rage about mainstream media? It's so weird to me. Well, I mean, I think there's a couple things. Like one, I'm a woman, and I like you know, I don't mind getting involved in like, you know, I'll respond to people. Like I liked a little I cover YouTubers for a living, so I'm not like a wallflower. <laughs> um and also, I think I cover online influence, which is, as you know, the thing that these people want more than anything. And I think it they really don't, you know, they sort of want to monopolize that. They want this narrative about the media, that the media is out of touch and they're the only ones, you know, that understand the internet and stuff. And I don't know. And I think I just trigger them for a million reasons. Who knows? I guess I have liberal opinions that, like, you know, gay people should exist and <laughs> not be run out of the country, but... Yeah. Right. Actual opinion I read in the book was was you saying uh, that Gamergate was like a harassment, uh, was like a coordinated harassment, basically. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's going to piss people off. They're going to be that's so not opinion. That. That's not opinion. <laughs> I agree with you. That doesn't mean people aren't <laughs> going to be pissed. Yeah, I know some podcasters already giving me shit about it. He was like, well, don't you think? And I was like, no, I no, I I lived through Gamergate. Like, it was fucked up. It's it was just bad faith. I mean. I just think it was an example. I mean, what I say in the book, and I don't talk about Gamergate like so extensively, but I do think that it was this pivotal moment where people started, that was like the beginning of people realized like, oh shit, these platforms can be like weaponized, you know, um, in a meaningful way. And kind of like, here's this way we can like exploit the media. Um, but yeah. yeah there's, it, there's been a lot of interesting, I mean, it, it, I don't want to say like overdone because I, I, I do think Gamergate is a really pivotal part of like internet history in terms of like, creating like the the space that we we live in now like on pretty much the entire internet but it it, it is interesting uh seeing seeing the figures that kind of came out of 
Gamergate and, and like what they would do before. Like Ian Miles Chung is like a great example of that where like before Gamergate, he would just like post pretty like harmless politically like liberal opinions or like opinions about video games, like how how much he loved like Epic Mickey or whatever. <laughs> Like really like super normal things, but then like Gamergate happened and it, it just like ruined like that whole event is I feel like what started like the conspiracy type brain uh, like influencer that we see where like everything is a ploy to like ruin them, even though they've been like going for like a, near a decade at this point. You know, like it's, it's a really weird situation that that's really influenced where we are right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, I mentioned in the book too, because it like birthed this like generation of right-wing influencers. Like you mentioned, like Ian Miles Chunk, Candace Owens, um, you know, Cernovich, like that whole like class of people got clout from Gamergate and sort of like got radicalized through Gamergate. Kind of the way that a lot of people also, I guess more recently, like the Depp versus Heard trial, you know, it's like these, these moments are like, are these sort of like dramatic controversies on the internet are ways for people to capture audience. And once they capture an audience, they usually just like lean further and further into whatever got them that audience, which is usually hateful shit. Yeah. Another like recent prime example, and of course relevant to to you is the whole uh, libs of TikTok, uh, Chaya Raichik, uh person. Like she, she would just post like TikToks. She had like a pretty small audience um, and then got, uh, she just blew up by basically mocking people. And I, I mean, she's just gotten far worse than I, I, I mean, I, I remember like when she first was like starting to get attention, she, I mean, she was always bad. She was always, I yeah. think pretty evil, but like where she is now is just like, it's, it's, she's like, I don't know, just pure, I would say pure evil. She, she kind of always was, but like she, you're right. These people like lean into the, these bad, like antisocial behaviors. Especially when there's commercial incentive for them to do so. I mean, obviously oh, yeah. it paid off really well for Chaya. Yeah, she got on Tucker Carlson multiple times. Like she she she's gotten recognized by like the the upper echelons of like right wing. She media. looks absolutely dewy at forty five years old. <laughs> <laughs> um one of the things that I was uh, one of the things that I was thinking about when I read the book, there were two things. One, I was thinking about how so much of Gamergate came from 4chan, but how yeah. prior to Gamergate, while there was like a lot of chaos and shittiness on 4chan, one of the things that you mentioned on there is how Chocolate Rain made its way from 4chan. And I was like, Chocolate Rain would never in a million years make its way to the internet from 2023 4chan. It's way too fucking racist and terrible and fucked up. It's kind of like, um, we talked about this in the, um, uh, the brackets episode with, with Steph and John, we call it like we jokingly call it like the Obama era racism, where like <laughs> even 4chan, it was like bl- the racism was blunted, it was there, but everybody just called everybody like whatever slurs because it was funny, it wasn't really like particularly metastasized or oh, really, I'm sure you know, they had slurs for Tay Zonde back then. Well, of uh, course but, they did, but they yeah. called everybody everything, it wasn't like yeah. it, ideological. Well, I mean, it was, of course, because anytime you have a, a any place online that's dedicated to free speech, guess who goes there first, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, for the most part, I think having grown up on something awful and the chans and stuff, that disgusting racism is always there, but it was uh, weaponized is probably the best word. It wasn't really weaponized prior to like... Uh, yeah, maybe uh, I'm being a little Pollyanna-ish, but I did, I did sort of feel like... Uh it wasn't it wasn't the same coordinated like actual it, it, political ideology that it is yeah now. it wasn't i mean andrew Mor- uh, andrew morantz i think this um yeah from the new yorker wrote 
yes, he wrote a book, you know, about sort of something awful and the origins of a lot of this stuff. But um, I think like back then there was this, um, I mean, there was this like notion that the internet was for nerds and weirdos. And I think 4chan had a lot of like solidarity with a lot of these early internet creators because these early internet creators were also nerds and weirdos and LGBTQ people and people of color and women. They were people that were excluded from I mean, this I talk a lot about like mommy bloggers in the book, but these are people that are excluded from legacy media and legacy institutions. And so that's why they turn to the internet. And then even back, and again, this is my book too, but like when Lonely Girl um, 15 took off, they were casting for it. They, the boyfriend of the girl who plays Brie, the main character in that YouTube channel, they, they were like, we can't cast anyone attractive because it's not going to be believable that an attractive boy like teen boy would spend time on YouTube. That's that no one would believe that. And now we have, you know, like it's the opposite. So I just think it's like the perception of who was quote unquote, like very online has changed as well. You, I mean, you mentioned in your book that like in the early days, like the social media companies weren't actually even like making room for like influencers and they sort of had their hands. Yeah, no. they had that have their hands for us is what you said about that. Yes, they did. Like, they were like, that's why I was losing my mind in 2021 when all these VCs who spent the past 15 years shit-talking the influencer community are suddenly like the creator economy. It's like, you guys were like literally dragged kicking and screaming into this. You, They didn't, they don't like, I mean, it's the Elon Musk brain where it's like, they don't like the power that a lot of these people wield on their apps. They want to kind of like define they want to be like king of the castle and kind of like define how people use these products that they develop. And when these power users come along and start using the apps in creative and interesting ways that they didn't often plan for, they feel a loss of control. And often like they don't know how to, you know, it makes them nervous for their users, certain users to have that level of power. Vine is, the death of Vine is sort of the perfect example of this. Like, a huge reason why Vine died is all of the biggest content creators on the app got together and were like, fuck you. If you're not paying us, we're out. Really? Um, that's in my book. Yes. Tell, I was tell, ask if it was, tell me, yeah, tell me more about that. I'd love to hear like a little bit of that story. Like what, what, how did they all, like, where did they say they were going to go? What did they say that we're going to do? How do you go away from Vine if there's not like an alternative to Vine? I guess there's YouTube. T- but, TikTok like, wasn't around at that point. If I remember correctly, it was mostly just Vine. Yeah. So, yeah, my book, <laughs> my book, read the book. It gets all into this, but I'll, I'll give you the, the sort of like the cliff notes, which is basically like, I don't know if you remember, but that, that death of Vine led to this explosion and sort of social video and this competition for talent. So Vine shuttered kind of like end of 2016 and YouTube, for actually first, before they all went to YouTube, before Logan Paul, like, you know, went full on into YouTube and all the, all of them went into YouTube, they were actually on Facebook video. And Facebook video for like six to nine months was giving hundreds of thousands of dollars to content creators to create video. That was like when the first sort of big pivot to video happened. And they were all like getting huge, huge, huge pages on Facebook. And then they were like, okay, but how do we monetize? And Facebook was like, we're working on it, we're working on it. And then YouTube came in and was like, okay, no, guys, like we've got the monetization figured out, like come over here. And a lot of them hopped over to YouTube and became obviously some of the biggest YouTubers even still today. Well, Facebook was like lying to people too, was part of that story. Like, yeah, they were uh, 
bullish, uh, 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 lying about how many people were actually watching all the videos and what it was worth to watch well, a video. It was well, yeah. Let me like not to defend Facebook, but I, I oh do boy. think that like I mean, here's the thing: they were lying on ad ads. They were not lying on those videos. They were lying on ads. And the difference with and this has always been the problem on social media, and I think we see this with TikTok is like there's this level of inflation that we've seen. So YouTube, a view on YouTube doesn't count. Like a view on Facebook or a view on TikTok is basically this video has been served to someone for a microsecond, you know, like even if they scrolled by. So it's like those numbers were like real, but like what a view was on Facebook video was more equivalent to like what a loop was on Vine than um, than a view on YouTube. Or like yeah, I should have view. made it clear. I was talking about the advertisers, but my uh, family was making money in Facebook ads at the time uh, in publishing. Oh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really fucking awful. Yeah, they were lying that, to all but... the advertisers hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> what I don't That's like how was how did how were they lying to them? This is something that I am not familiar with. Basically just claiming that views weren't what they are. Um and then selling them as if they are somebody like as if they were basically like a magazine subscription level of like commitment from a buyer. And so you would get like a profile and then they would quote you a price and be like, for this price, this many people will see your product with you under the assumption that you will be selling to that number of people. And so you give Facebook the money up front and then they charge you afterward. If more people see it, it was like this whole, like they were not being upfront with how they were selling to advertisers. And if you were in independent publishing at the time, I am Nearly certain you are not anymore would be my guess. <laughs> okay, because I, I kind of knew that. I thought it was about like vi- like video views itself, because a lot of people and myself included, when when Elon started putting up like you know like the, the view count on tweets and especially with videos, I was I, like I think a lot of people, including me, were like, isn't he just going to get sued for the same reason that Zuckerberg did? Um, but if, if I guess it's a little different if it was specifically about the ad views. Yeah, I think everyone also like, yeah, Elon's metrics are nonsense, truly nonsense. I got yeah. 700 views on a tweet from a locked account with zero followers. Yeah, I was just going to bring up that that um, a lot of people tested that where they would make, yeah, like a fresh account and it would be like, yeah, insane impressions on literally nothing. <laughs> it is different now, too, because I think everybody knows Elon's full of shit in, in the way that people didn't really know about Facebook in like 2016, 17. Yeah. They were still drinking the Facebook Kool-Aid back then. Yeah. What is the benefit? This might be a stupid question. I, but I don't, <laughs> you know what? I'll be, I'll be stupid here. What, what, what benefit does Elon Musk have to lie about user views? Does it just make it seem like there's more engagement? Like, is that? Yes. That it, it makes it seem bigger than it is. It's like, oh, Tucker Carlson got 90 million views. It's like, no, he didn't. <laughs> but sure, if you want to say, it's just you're making it seem bigger than it is. Yeah, my, my theory has always just been that he wants to be able to use like more metrics to convince more advertisers to like come back to Twitter or or because um, I think I think his overall goal is to like get get enough advertisers to to break even. Because apparently, I, I don't know if this is like a for sure fact. I'm not like super super well read on this sort of thing. If, but like as soon as Twitter is like positive in terms of like revenue. He can he can um, renegotiate like his loans that he had to take out to buy Twitter. So like I think that's that why true? I 
that's that's what I've heard. That's what I've read. And that's why he's been apparently pretty like desperate or maybe not apparently, but like very visibly desperate uh, when when trying to like be like, hey, buy Twitter blue or like, you know, all these all these different like schemes that he does to try to boost up. Twitter's yeah, image. He, has to, he had put up uh, Tesla stock as leverage, and that's like his golden goose. Not, so. But not only that, he borrowed money. Like, uh, yeah, he, he borrowed uh, money too. Uh, yeah. Supposedly, the the interest on the loans that he took is a billion dollars a year. So he's trying to break <laughs> even because he's he's losing a billion dollars in interest a year. So, and his uh, only gambit excellent. is to get as many people on the site. Uh, while being the least likable person. Of yeah, life. honestly, if Elon it's truly an early '80s kids fantasy movie, uh, like Big or something, it, <laughs> just like a kid taking over the company. Had he not accidentally Mr. Magoo his way into becoming the wealthiest man on earth, Elon would have been some huckster asshole in the suburbs of Dallas, and he would be paying for Instagram followers right now. Like he'd be buying fake ones. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> it's like that that one account that was like I, I don't know if it was ever determined to be actually him, but the, it was like that account the baby where Elon it was, or whatever. He's a yeah, it was that baby Elon that like that was it was so we had a good weird. reason to believe it was actually him. And he was like for like months he was trying to like post like if you if you went back before it was revealed that that it was likely his account, you could like look at old posts and replies. And it, it was it very was him. clear. I mean, it was a hundred percent. I think I'm it was too. I'm saying it was. <laughs> I, I am too, but I just think the best part of it was like he was trying to riff and prove that he's like a good poster, and he had like seven followers. Like no one, <laughs> no one cared. <laughs> and then he like, I'm I'm doing air quotes, but he like accidentally revealed that it was his account, and then he got up to like fifty thousand followers or something like that. It's like he he can't post like he wants to. That that's why I think that's that goes a, a point in the in the basket of the theory that he wants to be a well loved poster and he just can't be. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> poor guy. I mean, not poor guy. Fuck him. No, fuck Elon. <laughs> I mean, I mean, to say nothing of the fact that you've got like all of the right wing sphere on your ass, like the fact that Elon has taken a specific interest in you, like I can't imagine. I would just scrub my existence from the internet. I don't know. How I you, like when he was calling you liar Lorenz. That's like juiceless. <laughs> Like Juiceless. absolutely the lamest thing I've ever heard. He does it's, not it's, have it. <laughs> it's such a he he wants to be Trump so bad sometimes. So one of the things that I've been thinking about that I was thinking about reading your book, and like, you know, you say you report from sort of like the user side, which I appreciate because the the Silicon Valley side is like absolutely mind-numbingly boring to me. Like I don't give a shit about about the inner workings of people trying to get a platform up or whatever. Like that stuff's not interesting to me. But like as a user of all of these platforms, they are all getting less usable. Like what is going on? Like, why are they, why, why are all of them becoming so terrible? Yeah. I mean, I, well, I liked that piece that what's his name? Who wrote it? Not, was it Clive Thompson? Who wrote the inshitification? It was Cory Doctorow, right? Oh, Cory Doctorow. That's right. Um, I totally agreed with it. I mean, I think right now we're just in this like, we're in this like place where Silicon Valley innovated so quick. They had this monopoly and they are a hundred percent. I mean, we have a monopolistic tech platform where there's no meaningful competition because it's so hard to compete with Facebook and Google. The only meaningful competition to Facebook and Google in the past several years has been TikTok, which is also owned by a multi-billion dollar Chinese tech conglomerate, you know? So like 
you have to have that. You have to literally have a billion. TikTok spent a billion dollars in marketing um, in 2019 alone on app downloads. Like that's the level of resources that you have to have to compete with these big tech platforms. And so I think it's just really hard. I think that we could have a much better, more robust, interesting social internet if we had more indie platforms and interesting spaces. Again, like back towards like the blogger era, you know, where like people had a voice and were able to express themselves online, but they weren't just like forced to use the same five shitty apps that are sort of getting worse and worse because we have the same people in power in Silicon Valley that have been in power since 2012, you know? Yeah, in the last 10 years, the only real innovations we've made are in like ad tech. Nothing, yeah. nothing other than how we get served ads has has improved. And you could argue that that's actually worse from the user perspective. Exactly. And one, one thing I've thought about for a while too is like back in the day, back, back in the earlier internet, maybe not like the old days, but like in the earlier days of the internet, there used to be like more websites. There were more places to go and like more things to like explore. Like you could actually like find these weird like esoteric websites that were just like, I, I don't know, you would like tell your friends about them and, and they would be like these, these fun little experiences. But like now it's like, yeah, you're right. It's like, just like you, you go to like three websites, uh, you, you post on like two of them. One of them, one of them you like buy is what, like where you do all your shopping now. It's like the, the internet feels like it's really consolidated. It's, it's become like a really tight space. Whereas like in the, the earlier days there were like, there were things to go do and see, like you could find, yeah, like those weird, like what was it called? Geo cities websites. Like Back in middle school, me and like friends of mine would like make these fun little websites for us to go, like go on. Like we don't really get that in the same way anymore. No, and there's not room for self-expression and customization. Like I mean, MySpace and GeoCities are these examples too, where like you used to be able to like express your personality, you know. And then came the rise of these social platforms of the 2010s that just like you know, everyone's profile looks the same. Everyone has the same, but maybe you can choose between a light blue and a light purple background. <laughs> you know, that's the most uh, yeah. fun you're going to get. You know, you don't get the, to put blingies any, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, the, for the first experience, like the, the earliest memory I have of like that, like aesthetic, um, like consolidation was with YouTube. Um, yeah. When it went from like the old design of YouTube where you could customize every single aspect of your like YouTube page like you could with like MySpace. And they they did the, I forget exactly what the update was called, but the, they streamlined it where it was kind of like a Facebook page and everyone had the same page, but now you just had like a header profile. And at the time I was like really upset. I mean, a lot of people were really upset about that sort of like stylistic consolidation. And, and I mean, that's just like the status quo these days. You, you, you're right. There's like no expression. Yeah. It's a bummer. I think we need more places for expression and creativity and social connection that is, you know, there aren't mediated by these horrible tech billionaires. The inverse of expression, because what you're getting now is people doing whatever they can to gamify um, the algorithms. And that actually, I have a question about the book, if I can, if you, uh, the chapter about the adpocalypse was uh, really interesting to me as somebody who worked in, in internet marketing for most of my life um, was great. But one of, the one, one of the things that I thought was interesting was when you talked about what most people would know as Elsagate back in like 2016, 2017, there was, I guess, a uh, series of creators, some of them have verified even, that were making these horrifying um, videos. I'm going to read an excerpt from the book if that's okay. Yeah. Um, 
In a blog post titled Something is Wrong with the Internet, writer and artist James Brittle detailed content intended for kids on YouTube that could only be described as horrific. What Brittle and the New York Times found was an array of videos, many with tens of millions of views, that were bizarre and downright abusive. One video uploaded to YouTube by a verified creator showed a young girl crying as someone shaved her face, seemingly as punishment. Blood appeared to spill from her forehead. It was given the SEO-friendly title, Bad Baby with Tantrum and Crying for Lollipops, Little Babies Learn Colors Finger Family, which is insane. Um, <laughs> and it amassed a stunning garbage. 53 million views. This and other disgusting videos seem to be engineered to exploit YouTube's recommendation algorithm in order to queue up after uh, videos, videos that parents had chosen for their kids. So I guess what I'm saying is like, You've got this point where uh, you, you know people have genuine self-expression, and maybe the tech isn't so great. It's a you know we're earlier on in the internet. Then we go to do this Elsagate and adjacent type content where um, it's being gamified for uh, money, which is obviously awful. But then, the, kind of what surprised me about this was uh, YouTube's um, unwillingness to do really anything about any or not even just YouTube, any of these companies, they didn't want to do anything about this. Um, uh, they started implementing some really unfair and stupid moderation tools that hurt genuine content creators instead of doing the simple smart thing, which is, hey, uh, don't serve ads to content that is made for babies. How about that? You know, it's crazy. Um, but so now you, yeah, I mean, you see these like insane like edits on YouTube videos that I've been having to like take tutorials in now to get around these same sensors. And they're very opaque. They don't make sense. They harm, you know, you, you go into it in, in this chapter quite a bit. Um, but I guess my question is, you know, that was uh, 2015, 2016 when those videos first started popping up, I think. And just a few months ago, you wrote another article where, and God bless you for doing the work. I don't know how horrifying it was, but about how the same thing is essentially happening now with, um, you know, uh, mutilation videos, self-harm, uh, animal abuse, sexual assault on Instagram. So what do you think it's going to take for any of these companies to actually start doing some sort of meaningful, meaningful moderation? Or, I mean, there was your article, and then even just a few months ago after that, Ben Collins wrote the article that, Twitter wouldn't take down cat torture videos even after they were notified of it. So what is it going to take? I mean, what, what needs to change? Um, is it just all because of the financial uh, aspect of this? Is that what's causing this or what do you, what's your take on that? Yeah. I think as long as we have these like ads based social platforms that monetize engagement and prioritize engagement above all else, I mean, you're going to end up with sort of the worst of the worst on the internet. Like you're going to end up with gore and horrific stuff because that is the most engaging content on the internet. Like violence is just, it is like, it's like what people watch and click and it's horrifying or, you know, it, it makes you stop right in the feed. And, um, yeah, I think we need, I mean, I think we need an overhaul of like the whole incentive structure. I think it's like a downstream effect of, um, this focus on en the engagement. I hate that word, but like, you know, it's just, yeah, it's bad. No, you're, you're you're so right. I mean, I mean, of course, we can talk about Twitter all day. Like, it's, I feel like Twitter is like the most recent ex example of of a platform kind of falling to this, where it's like 
I mean, I feel like a lot of people, including me, have been like just scrolling and then oh, all of a sudden you find you, you you come across a video from an account you don't follow and it's like, oh, it's just like a fight video or like someone being like shot. It's like you see all this like violent shit or, or like purpose, like purposefully enraging engagement bait, especially now that people can make money. Um, as like a blue check. So it's like there, there's these incentives now to like be as inflammatory as possible pretty much on any platform you go to. Yeah, exactly. It's, I, I mean, it's like, once again, Twitter is the worst of all of this. Twitter is like the, <laughs> the like culmination of all the problems of social media for the past 10 years. Yeah, I keep having the feeling on Twitter that like, I have to watch this video to make sure it is what it appears to be. And it's like, oh, yeah, it is like a kid getting punched in the face or something. <laughs> and it's like, well, I shouldn't have engaged with this for as long as I did because that that's not good at all. And yeah. And then it's like you've already wasted the time on it. The algo's already ticked you. It knows you like to watch kids get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. I did want to ask you a kind of a, a related question to that, Taylor. Um, it was originally tied to another question, but we'll just jump into this. Um, there is nobody perhaps less qualified to do any sort of regulation on this than the United States government, I think. Um, every time you see any sort of congressional hearing about whether any, any sort of tech issue, whether it's mental health or privacy or IP rights or, or, or anything, the government, they just, politicians just continually show their ass. They're paid to say one thing. I think a lot of them are, maybe not all of them. Um, but have you, in all of your reporting experience, found any uh, politicians that are particularly good at ex understanding and explaining these issues? Are there any nonprofits or groups or any sort of hope that we might get for um, some sort of regulation or some sort of, e even if not regulation, guidance or guidelines for these companies to follow? Because there is um, remarkably little, I would say, a handful of reporters that annoy Elon Musk are the only fucking accountability that these <laughs> assholes have. So are there any bright spots or are we just fucked? Um, I mean, certainly not, there's not bright spots in the government. I don't see anyone. I mean, there's like local leaders maybe and like state level leaders that I think are like young people that get the internet and care. It's like, you don't just have to understand the internet. You have to, like you said, like not just be beholden to corporate interests and you don't really get into power in the United States unless you're pretty beholden to corporate interests. So um I'm not hopeful about not that. <laughs> I was really hoping you'd be like, well, it's not great, but this person is doing this or something. This is really Who do you bad. guys, do you guys see anyone? I mean, I, I mean, uh, not really. Uh, I don't know. AOC like, played the fucking, what's the, the game, the dumb game during she COVID. She plays Among Twitch. Us. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, she AOC goes, Among played us. Among Us. So yeah. she's going to be the tech <laughs> Yeah, she's the one like, that's going to save us. It's like, uh, that's mean, all we got. As, as much as I dislike her in general, I, I, I feel like, Elizabeth Warren like occasionally will do something about like crypto yeah. or like you know it's these yeah. different like I tech think realms that, where yeah. it's like she she's doing her I, best. I think that realms. the the bright future ahead is is a sort of uh, going to be drawn by the same people who drew up the internet originally, which is sort of outsider strange people that will be able to craft their own version of the internet through like computer porting or VPNs or using uh, uh, like NAS systems to save data together or things. I think that there are, oh shoot, my Alexa's going off. Um, the, uh, I don't think anybody gives up power willingly. And even yeah. though it's great that AOC and Warren, you know, sometimes <laughs> push back on just, 
insane like tech overreach like there's we're not going to get we're not going to upend the system from within like you really do need these like activists and people on the outside and you know there are and there are a lot of um people i mean even just with like these horrible quote-unquote child privacy protection bills you know that they're trying to roll out like that thing in utah and stuff where basically they want like parental supervision of the internet if you're under the age of 18 which is a huge privacy violation for children um there's been a lot of activists and like organizers that have spoken up about that. Uh, so that's good. What's it called? The only other person I can think of in, in Congress is uh, Ron Wyden, Senator from Oregon. He does a lot of like, mm-hmm. he's been kind, I mean, he's I guess less so in the past <laughs> decade, but about a decade ago, he was really on top of like privacy stuff. Even if it didn't. That's great. Even if it didn't. Oh, he was one of the dudes that was like kind of paying attention to what was it? SOPA? Yeah. Like some yeah, of the early. Yeah. And like, yeah. and like yeah. to, he, to, he, you know, he was one of those people who took seriously like what was going on with Edward Snowden and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it didn't end up amounting to a ton, but. <laughs> no. Yeah. One guy was Sadly. paying attention to it. Good job, America. Um, <laughs> ironically, I would say um, the best amount of accountability is just like, and I hate this shit so much but like public outcry and backlash is like the one thing that we really have and it's not even towards necessarily in all cases like the owners of these platforms but in the um the the video that you mentioned the sam peppers killing my best friend prank um which we'll talk about in a second i think but the outcry from that was enough to shame i think the guy who made it not necessarily even youtube or anything right Yeah. um, Yeah. That prank was sort of this famous thing where Sam Pepper basically pretended to murder his best friend. Um, I mean, that was sort of that was early. I think that was 2015 or early 2016. But it was the beginning of people starting to basically be like, oh, the prank videos. Uh, I don't want to cut you off, Taylor, but just crazy to live through the I think we need to, we can't like overstate how insane this video was. This is a guy with his friend in his car and he pretends his car breaks down. And then they have a guy with a mask come in at gunpoint and tie the guy up and throw him in the fucking trunk and then take him onto a rooftop and mock execute his best friend in front of him while he's screaming and sobbing, going through PTSD, thinking that his best friend has died. And then they're like, oh, bro, it's just a prank. And like, he's like still <laughs> like sobbing and like quivering. And it was like this Christ. horrifying. It's it was psychotic. Psychotic. It was, yeah, no, it's truly insane to watch that. Like, because I, I mean, we were all on the internet at that point, I imagine. I, th- I imagine we all saw that. So I, I was like, actually I not very video. familiar with this. Really? Okay. I watched yeah. that personally, like the, the day it happened and was like kind of in like watching the reaction to it. And it, it was just, I don't know, just insane just unreal that someone would put that up and and just think that's like normal and okay to like publish yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. they um i don't remember did he uh taylor do you know did he take that video down himself or i know that they did like the apology video and they had like the where they sat down and he does uh his it was sam and i can't remember this is friend named colin or something but they i remember watching the video where it's like i'm okay like it was scary but i'm fine and he just definitely looked like he was did not want to be there doing that video. Yeah. I know there was like a change.org petition to like get it taken down. Um, at YouTube, I remember said actually that it did not break community guidelines violations, at least initially. So I think he, oh, took, that rocks. I think he took it down. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that era of YouTube, like that, and I talk about it in my book, but like that prank era of YouTube was like, 
I had like pages of examples of insane prank videos and just rewatching them being like, this is crazy. Like there's, there's so much more awareness of online culture now that like the YouTuber culture was still sort of thought of as this like niche online thing. So it, there just wasn't. Nobody really cared. Yeah. It was the, um, you talked about it also in the book that we've covered on the show before as the family of five, daddy of five. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Yes. And that really took like an internet mob of people with pitchforks and torches to get any sort of anything done when they were like literally filming child abuse. So I just think that the, the depths that billionaires and tech companies will sink to serve ads is you will never find the bottom there. Um, so I guess anyway, that was kind of my point of like, <laughs> what, what, what are the bright spots? But if there are none, well, shit, huh? <laughs> It's it's very funny that it's like there's not really many bright spots of this. Uh, I gotta admit, you had me there, Taylor. I really thought you were day. gonna have something on that. Like, oh no, there's this. But uh, I have just... hope in, in people. <laughs> I mean, this is the same way I feel about anything, whether it's. Well, let me ask you this then, because yeah. you, uh, through and maybe I'm just reading you wrong, and it's not even just this book, but in general, you have a very positive attitude about social media still, and about the content. I guess the creator economy and in this book that shines through. And I think just in, in how you, you write and talk about things, you do seem to have a far more rosy disposition about all this stuff than I do. And I realize full well that I'm a cynic, but what keeps you optimistic about any of this? Because it all feels very bad to me. Yeah. It's funny because a couple months ago I was being canceled online for being a doomer and I'm such a, I'm such a downer and a doomer. And I was like, I'm, I'm always, I'm usually the one that's not actually. Um, yeah. yeah. But people get, te- people tend to get mad at you because you're not doomer enough. Uh, I know. I've seen. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, doomer. <laughs> I'm like maybe doomer about some stuff, but um, no, I mean, I, I, I just really truly believe in, in like the power of sort of collective action and, and, expression. And I think the internet is an incredible, powerful tool. And I'm very much like a tech optimist in that way. I think it's just like, we're in this weird influx time where it's been seized by billionaires and it's like, you know, overrun with capitalism. But I think that like the, the way the internet started out and and what we could do with it would actually, you know, could actually be very liberatory and incredible and, um, could be this place for, for very positive connection and self-expression and all of that. And there are, there are spaces like that that are online. It's just like, I think the past 10 years, especially the past six or seven years, like it's just, it's gone off the rails. Um, but it, it, things can change, you know, and things can get better. And that's kind of, I mean, towards the end of my book, I talk about this, but it's, what I want people to take away from my book is that these Silicon Valley people never understand how their platforms are going to be used. Like you said, they, they actually, you know, public pressure is what makes people change. And I think we as users need to sort of collectively um, push back more on, on these tech companies and their exploitative practices and all the fucked up stuff that they do. Do you feel like, so one of the, the, one of the sort of central conflicts for me personally when it comes to like the state of the internet is i generally like a platform that is smaller and caters to like a smaller group of people like uh, you know yes i'm on twitter all day all the fucking time but i'm also like (laughs) i'm also a member of like some niche uh sort of like hobbyist 
message boards. And I tend you to like them better. You are a bunch I, of synth, synth forums, aren't you? Listen, I didn't want to fucking say it, but yes, yes. <laughs> it's I bet we're on some of the same ones. It's we called talk Mod later. Wiggler, and it okay. is a, it is a forum for uh, for synthesizers and like uh, music gear. But like, uh, <laughs> I um. I, I like, it's like, that's more like going to the bar, you know, it's like you see everybody, you know, there, and it's like, you get some people you have good relationships with some people you have bad relationships with. It's small enough that there's moderate moderators who can like ban the shitheads usually. Um, the problem is that like being a person who is like making up, making a podcast, like we are like being able to shout into a uh in a place that has everyone on it is like really appealing but lately it's starting to feel like that's really the only appeal of it like how do i balance like how do you balance the 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 like desire to reach as many people as possible with like the desire to actually f- have a place that feels like there's community you know what i mean yeah i mean i actually think this is what tiktok does well with the algorithm i don't i think this notion of like this this era of sort of like broadcast based social media where like everything you post is default public to the world like that seemed very exciting in 2010 now i think it terrifies most people Um, But people, like you said, you do want to build an audience. You want to reach people that you don't just want to reach a small community. You want to reach a a large community of people that care about what you care about. And I think that that can be done through maybe more sophisticated algorithms like interest-based graphs and other like discovery mechanisms. I think discovery has has been a big problem. And it's something that American tech companies suck at. They suck at discovery. Like there's so much burden on the user. It's like you get on Twitter, you have to like manually find people to follow them. Like that's just a horrible way to deliver content. As a person Um, who has been making podcasts for uh, 13 years now, no podcast app has figured out how to do discovery for podcasts at all, ever. It's terrible. Yeah. And I think that's, I think discovery, I think like if you think of the, one of the sort of core problems that might be solved in the next 10 years, I think discovery is, is that problem. And I think TikTok is actually, I mean, the reasons TikTok has taken off apart from the billions that they spent is because it's, it's excellent at delivering, you know, engaging content to you. That's sort of tailored towards your interests. Do you think Taylor, um, cause TikTok and Gen Z are kind of almost synonymous at this point when we think of like any sort of social media. Do you think that maybe that is a part of why? And like, you know, if you're a younger person, you've grown up and basically, you know, if you're a millennial, you still remember what the old world was, was like a little bit before everything was just hell. And you saw 50,000 ads before lunch and everybody was fucking miserable and yelling at each other. Do you think maybe that's why Gen Z likes TikTok so much is because it's almost like a little bit of, of, an oasis from all that on the other kinds of apps. Yeah, I mean TikTok is insane, and people are yelling and mm-hmm. canceling. But you can each avoid other. that really easily. When people <laughs> yeah. tell me about that stuff, my TikTok and I, I spend an embarrassing amount of time on there. But mine is like uh, the bird wearing a sombrero, and you know the <laughs> funny monkeys at the zoo, and some guy playing guitar or something. You know, it's not bad at all. Yeah, I don't know how I mean, it happened I- either. It's just I got lucky. I don't know. No, you didn't get lucky. I think they're harvesting an enormous amount of data and they know exactly (laughs) what is going to work for you. Um, Also, I do think that you have more control over your experience on TikTok and and sort of the content you see and um, because it's not this follow-based social platform. I think also just TikTok is a more engaging format than a lot of other platforms and it breaks that follower. The notion that you have to like follow someone and then subscribe to every single thing that they ever say 
it's just a bad, like they're not always going to say things you're interested in. It's much more effective to only get the posts that are relevant to your interests. Like for instance, I mean, COVID is a good example. I, I stopped using tech. Uh, I stopped using Twitter for like tech stuff, like right after I got banned by Elon. Cause I was like, if I tweet more tech news, like he's, I already have to ask him for comment all the time. Like, I, you know, I tweet out some stories, but I mostly just use it to like keep up with COVID information. Cause I'm severely immunocompromised. And there are so many people that are like, I just want to see your tech posts. And I'm like, well, I wish I had a feed, but like, I'm sorry. Like, I wish I, I agree with you. I'm not, you know, that's I'm why you're of, always plugging the link tree. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's, it's hard. It's, that's a flaw within the product. Um, I'm like, follow me on Mastodon. That's where I post my tech takes. But yeah, I think, I think there are going to be new platforms that come up. I think we're reaching the end of one era of social media right now. Um, what and do you think, think that that future is? I, I asked this to Ed. I asked this to everybody, mostly because I'm just curious and because I'm gasping for air just like everybody else on the fucking internet. But what do you think that the future of that could look like? I mean, obviously, I think the, the general consensus from everybody I talk to seems to, to be either control over your experience or maybe a little bit less centralization that than the internet has been for the last 10 years. But what else? Like, what do you think that could functionally be? Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that people want like more sort of defined experiences. Like they don't just, it's not, it's not enticing to be able to post to everyone. I think people have a lot more like sort of stronger understandings of privacy. And also I think a lot of, um, people want more ephemerality on the internet too. I think not every post needs to be permanent. Like the fact that every tweet is permanent is so insane. It's like they should it expire. Is funny, yeah. It, it is quite funny like looking back at old posts from like 2012 of, of people who are like still relevant to this day when they weren't relevant. You find some you you can find some really funny gems of of things that people were saying like a decade ago. But that that is I guess that can cause some issues possibly. I mean, <laughs> honestly like the worst part of the removal of access to the API that or, or sort of the charging for the API that that Elon has has instituted is that I used to be able to delete my tweets easily. I would just I would just go to the tweet delete website and, and delete my tweets every couple of weeks. And I know that you do or did that too, Taylor. Um, yeah. And now I'm, I do. And now I'm I, 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 I for the past six months have been deleting them manually like a fucking oh. lunatic, <laughs> like a crazy I've person. I've given up. I've given up. Um, I don't tweet. Yeah. I mean, I tweet a lot. I mostly retweet kind of information about healthcare related stuff, but I don't really tweet as much as I used to at all. Good for you. That's, uh, I feel like that, that's incredible growth. <laughs> you on your part. <laughs> <laughs> you should be I... able to delete that stuff though, especially if you are uh, NFL wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, Jerry Judy, and you are talking about Big Bird from Sesame Street. Google it. <laughs> can you say it or is it too bad that you oh i can say it. it it's just very funny he he was like a kid and he just had like he had like 40 tweets about big bird for some reason he was like 15 <laughs> he was all i have him up right here he, one of them is just big bird and then another one what if you see big bird fucking elmo and then another one what if you see big bird robbing an old lady and what if you see big bird did a drive-by what if you see big bird and barney slap boxing i mean he did he was fucking obsessed with what if you see big now he's he's one of the best receivers in the game see that's awesome though that's why i like i i get the appeal of like an expiration for for stuff like that but i don't don't know i like little time there's a given a there's a given a, a 
given a get for that. Yeah, because you lose the Big Bird tweets if you if you delete the history. But <laughs> I, I deleted everything. What if you so. see Big Bird juking in the club? <laughs> to heartbroken. <laughs> <Yeah>. to heartbroken. <laughs> that was my favorite one. What if you see Big Bird yeah. getting yeah, beat we, up we, by we, Cookie we, Monster for smashing Elmo? <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just, all these we, insane we Big Bird related scenarios, and now the guy's worth like seventy million dollars or something. <laughs> one of the one of the funniest things about, about John Cullen, who was on our show the other week from Block Party, is that he used to be like a super earnest poster and huge fan of Entourage. And I don't know if they're still up, but he has in the past read aloud some of his like Entourage tweets from like twenty twelve. They're really embarrassing. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that guy became the man he is today, but they're rough. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to find that. That's awesome. But no, I, I can't imagine living in a world where we don't have the, I, I am Hitler from India. I'm Indian Hitler. Yeah. Dude. Like that, that's, we, we got to have stuff like that. We have I'm to. so glad that my, my uh, comedian account is completely separate from the whack Nicholson thing. So <laughs> I have not connected to any of the things I said before yeah. at all. It's, it's, same with the account I had in high school. Holy shit. That yeah. was, yeah. I mean, I thought it was new. bad. It's just cringe. Yeah. It's gone forever. Um, can we jump back really quick, Taylor? Because we, we, I wanted to ask you, but I didn't want to cut you off. You talked about COVID, but you also wrote about in your book about how COVID changed how we all use the internet. And yeah, let's. Can we talk about it? Like, what, what, what do you? If you had to summarize the biggest ways and what, what changes that really made from a user perspective, what would you say are the big ones? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that it forced everyone to live in the online world for a while, a, f- a few months, which was enough to like make a lot of people completely go batshit insane. <laughs> Somehow, I'm like, I, we've been living on like this, you know, for a while. But um, yeah, I, I think it, and and I think it actually, I mean, I actually think it, it was a positive in in um, some ways just in in terms of like the perception of, um, well, I, I'll say what it did is like it forced a lot of people in Silicon Valley and the media to take online culture seriously. And I think it was this sort of like pivotal moment. I mean, my book kind of ends around that era because I think that was truly when like online and offline just merged and so much of the world now is this like blended reality. The last where- racist uncle made it online. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> everyone is forced online and also just the the world itself, even if you yourself are not hyper online, the world that you live in and the culture you consume and everything is completely mediated by the internet. Um, and the internet is sort of the default reality at this point. So yeah, I mean, look, look at that uh, planet of the base, like yeah, <laughs> that, that blew up on TikTok and Twitter two we- like two weeks ago. That that was like only two weeks ago when that started. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but they were invited by the Jonas Brothers to perform at one of their concerts like yesterday. Insane! It's like that is insane turnaround for like internet culture. And is internet that I moment. saw the video and I was like, yeah. what on earth could they be performing yeah. this? At? <laughs> that was a that was a Jonas Brothers show. Oh yeah, that's my why God. there was there's like yeah. there's like tens of thousands of people. It's crazy. Oh my yeah. god! Like that turnaround would have never happened. Like there were there were always viral moments, but like you would just go on Ellen, basically. Right? Like, yes, <laughs> yes. No, that be... was the pinnacle. That was like that was like the high point. Um, actually, it's so funny. Ellen <laughs> Ellen's team shut me down from doing an article on just that in like 2015. Um, really? Yes. Yes. And I mean the show Ellen. Well, wait. Why I feel I have the gotten show? the last laugh on her because she sucks. Did she do anything <laughs> she specifically to us? <laughs> <laughs> Bad vibes. She's uh, as, as us as working people. Yes, she did. Okay, fine. Uh, That's she's fine. Okay, continue. Sorry. She killed my story, so I'll say I have a personal vendetta. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was it was going to be a positive ish story, but um, yeah. I anyway, that that's kind of my feeling about like the internet. And I will say, I have to say it is like you know, for a lot of medically vulnerable people, of which there are tens of millions. They still, I mean, many, many people still, myself included, can't fully kind of partake in society because it is incredibly dangerous with this sort of like unchecked spread of this deadly virus. And so, you know, I think people are just more online now, whether out of necessity, because they're immunocompromised, they're trying to do a little bit more Zoom meetings than maybe they did before, or just because they work remotely now, which I think is a huge, fantastic development. There's the, we, the flexibility in working um, has allowed us all to be more interconnected and and online. Plus, I think people have just like, especially, I, I mean, I feel like a lot of us included built up kind of like a social media presence during the COVID era, yeah. like, especially like lockdown. So it's like, yeah, June, you a ascended lot of our lives, during COVID. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> like a, a lot of our lives have been changed, like from just like posting dumb shit. So it's like, it's really intertwined itself in, in like the lives of, of a lot of people just like eternally now, unless you just like log off, which some people do, but not many of us do because it's addicting. And even <laughs> if you do log off, you live in this world. Like you are living in the internet world, like whether or not like the the whole offline world is so, I mean, just from meme stocks are like affecting our economy or like, you know, the, <laughs> the way that sort of like news plays out, election stuff. I mean, it's all just so mediated by the internet. And um, and that's and and that's kind of like what my book is trying to do is sort of like chart that journey to this moment. Um. Yeah, um, I was kind of joking when we were talking about it in our uh, uh, pr- production meeting that like if you're a YouTube video essay guy, this is it. This is the book that you need because you can just open to a random page and be like, "Yep, that's a two-hour video." Anything. Oh my God. It's so funny you say that because I was talking to a friend of mine who's a really big YouTuber and I was like, oh, I got to get my book. And anyway, she was like, you just make video essays about like everything in your book. Cause like, it's really easy to do that. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. There's a lot of free content in my book, video essays. The, it's it's literally a, a list of things that you could do. I'm mean, the whole thing, everything, like every paragraph is something that could be conceivably a video essay. That's what I was thinking when I was reading. It's like, geez. Like all that's, this stuff I, mean, I remember that's, and there's, that's, you know, there might be some, a lot of that for some of the stuff anyway, but there's a lot of good stuff. That's in there that free money get. for you, Taylor. That's, that's yeah. well, I did launch money. a YouTube <laughs> channel guys. Like, and subscribe. Wonderful. I do have Let's a YouTube go. channel Absolutely. now. My friend is actually helping me rebrand it. Cause it looks like shit right now, but <laughs> like Wonderful. it is, it's Taylor Lorenz YouTube. I have only like 5,000 subscribers. So get in early. That's pretty good. Get in at the ground level. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty good. Uh, yeah, I have me and a loyal following. Uh, me and Taylor starting YouTube at the exact same time. It's 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 exciting. We exciting should do a collab. We out. should do a collab. Yes, absolutely. We should. Maybe after I uh, roast your book to hell, you can come <laughs> on and defend Drag it. it. Let's debate. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, every study that I could find um, shows like a direct correlation between the amount of time that people spend online and how unhappy they are, especially in children, but just in general. And I think that is interesting and kind of like an inverse to the fact that we're in the loneliest point in human history. We're more connected, but we are unhappy and we feel isolated. And social media seems to be exasperating that when initially that was its original purpose was to bring us closer together. What do you think, the reason for that is. Yeah, I think about that all the time because people, 
I think as somebody that covers social media is like, you know, people worry, especially when it comes to children about the effects. I think it's, I think it's more of effects of, of how you use the internet. I think the internet can be like corrosive and bad or good. I think right now, again, we're in this like hyper-capitalist dystopian, like, version of the internet where like, if you are spending time online, you are probably spending time on one of these major social platforms that just incentivizes outrage. And I do think that there are healthier places to spend time online that are actually very positive. And I think it's also a lot of those surveys don't account for stuff like that. Like they're they're mostly around social media usage. They're not necessarily around time spent creating online, which is fun for people. You know, is it like, are you writing fan fiction somewhere? Are you in a interesting community where you're like trading stuff or are you a young mom, you know, where the internet is really your lifeline and you're doing other sort of like things that you can do with babies or whatever, you know, like I just have so many friends that are pregnant right now that like spend all day on the internet and and are in actually quite positive online spaces that are supportive of motherhood. I mean, that's sort of what the beginning of my book is about. It's just like these mommy bloggers that just started blogging to kind of find other people. So I think it's, I think the internet's like a tool and it's about how you use it. But I think that these um, giant sort of predatory corporations are what's making people miserable. I don't think it's sort of the inherent internet itself or level of connectedness. I think it's good that we're in a far more connected world, but we need platforms that sort of facilitate better communication styles and empathy and all of that. I think also like the internet gets blamed. And I said this about phones in general. I, I still want to write this like defense of being on your phone and like why it's fine for kids to be on their phone 24 seven is like, if the, the notion that like it's the phones that are making kids miserable and not like the state of the world, like so often our phones or what we're seeing on social media, it's just a reflection of the world and, and the reality that we're living in. So it's like social media is making us depressed sometimes too, because we're consuming very dark information. We're exposed to a lot of atrocities in the world that a lot of us wouldn't have daily exposure to previously. So I think, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if we, if we're, I guess, raising awareness and, and going to do something about it. I just think we need to fix like, I don't know, obviously like everyone likes to say capitalism is the problem with everything. And I kind of agree with that of like, there's all these big systemic inequalities and injustices in, in our world right now, especially in America, that I think are a much bigger problem than, you know, whether a kid is spending too much, too much time on the internet. I mean, some of it, obviously, like you can get radicalized online and that's bad, but I just, I think it's a lot of panic. I think it's a lot of tech panic that's overblown. TLDR. <laughs> I have, if, I could probably go on for about another two hours, but we're going to, I think that, I think that would be a good place to wrap it. What do you guys think? Yeah. Sounds yeah. good to me. Kind of a little optimistic. Uh, yeah. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess you could say optimistic. I'm an, I'm an optimist. <laughs> I mean, about yeah. stuff. I think like we're in a bad yeah, time no, I, right I feel now, like but. Yeah, it's it's really easy to like look at the world and be like, cause I, I think I'm a very optimistic person. You two are too. both I've, very I've always optimistic. Been. Yeah, yeah. I've I've always just like seen the best in in even like bad people or like bad systems. But it's like I, I don't I don't know. You kind of have to have hope sometimes because like I don't know. You don't want to be miserable all the time, you know. <laughs> and things can change. Right. Things will change. I mean, things can change so fast. Like look at how fast things have changed already. You know, things could change for the better. I think lately they've been changing for the worse, but 
Let's Definitely. switch it up. <laughs> let's make things better for a couple of years. Let, let, let's try to influence the vibes. Let's just let's let's think good thoughts. Let's post. Let's post only our hopes and dreams. Yeah. We'll, we'll change the vibes ourselves. Yeah. Maybe get you know, healthcare for all and. Mark Zuckerberg and Elon can finally like kill each other or whatever. <laughs> I do. I do hope that happens. It's oh not, God, I that know. It's not going to happen. Oh, I'll give my, my life to God if that fight actually happens. It won't. Uh, it won't. Elon's not, too much of a pussy. It's not going to happen. It's not yeah. going they to keep, happen. They keep pulling us on a thread. They they keep pulling Zuck us. Said pulling it's, us. Zuck said it's not going to happen. And 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 uh, at this point, anything else Elon says, I he's he's just so stupid and and just such a dunce. He. he Sorry, it, it but was all. Yeah, he knew he he when he was like, "I'm gonna drive over to your house tonight." He fucking knew. I will bet my <laughs> fucking life on it. He knew Mark Zuckerberg was out of town already, so he could, <laughs> so he could do that. And then, like, oh, convenient time for you to be traveling. You're hiding from me. No, you knew. You knew somebody in your <laughs> orbit is in Zuckerberg's orbit and told you his schedule. I there's no way Elon was <laughs> never gonna fight it. That was his last. I do move. love that. That just didn't happen though. Like the, that, him going to his house just like hasn't happened. It's it's genuinely so funny. Yeah, <laughs> he's such a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lion Lorenz. Uh, um, Pre-order I, my book. Order my book. Yeah. How do, how do people get your book? And what else do you want to plug? Okay. Well, my new YouTube channel. So I'm going to be making videos about culture, internet culture, technology stuff. So just follow me there. Follow me elsewhere. If you miss my like tech posts, just follow me elsewhere because Twitter is, I'm not really using Twitter for that anymore. Um, and then um, definitely, yeah, order my book. Um, it's out everywhere. Bookshop.org is awesome. You can order it from your local bookstore. You can request it at your local library. They'll order it often. Um, so however you want to get it, um, like I said, pre-orders are really the only thing that matters. So if you think you might want to read it, just... Just pick it up. I think you'll like it. <laughs> we have to have it do better than Tucker Carlson. I just need book. more than 3,000 copies sold. So if the fandom can rally, the Western Kabuki world. <laughs> oh, so it can rally. If Y'all I can give you an artist fucking we, book. Yeah, we got Delta to give me $1,000 by bullying. Let's We can we can get you <laughs> we some We got some Delta to do it. And, Wait, did and, they really? Did yeah. they really yeah. end up? I remember that saga. I didn't know the conclusion. Oh, yeah. oh they, they paid. They, they paid my man. <laughs> they paid. All right, they guys. Paid now it's time to get my book on yeah. the fucking bestseller list above Tucker Carlson. Listen, you're sitting at home right now trying to find a way to give your life meaning. You got your friend Caleb $1,000. You've been depressed since you don't have anything else to do. This is it. This is your this is your 5440 or fight. You're ready. You're going to war. Get out there. Get the book. Tell your friends. Start a YouTube channel. Pause the channel. podcast right now. Listen, you guys all say that book. you're fucking socialists. This is collective action we're asking you to do. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is praxis. <laughs> I need to show Tucker who's the alpha, you know, on the on the book charts. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's going to be molding because, you know, you know, he's going to look. He's going to he's going to see. Oh, he's going to see. He's talking he, about you. He's, he's going to Not know. just Tucker. The more this is this is it. This is it. Uh, uh, it will piss them all off. If it it will well, make them so <laughs> mad. And it will be so funny that every one of these fucking freaks that used to have a minion profile picture and now is on Twitter calling you slurs will freak <laughs> the fuck out if Taylor gets on the bestselling list. <laughs> Imagine, imagine Greg Gutfeld's weaselly little face trying to pull off calling her liar Lorenz on his fucking show. Just, yeah. just imagine how delicious it would be. God, this is like you, you guys have done what I think is the the best sell for a book 
<laughs> it's it's like the opposite of of like how these because because like a lot of these right wingers will be like oh if if you if you buy my my dick pill it's gonna own the libs mm. uh, and you're also gonna poison yourself and and go go to the hospital yeah, you're gonna die catatonic. it's like the opposite yeah I also think people yeah. will like the book I spent two years writing it I think anybody who spends time online like it is a nostalgia trip and it's a- I, I have to apologize because we've been doing this hard sell and I, I I'm gonna be earnest for a second it is very good especially if you've been online for a long time uh, I enjoyed it I um. Would have probably enjoyed it more if I'd given myself more than like 36 hours to read it, but <laughs> that's my fault. You know, it's a great casual read. It's a good hang. I think that um, anybody who's a fan of this show is going to find stuff in there that they enjoy. Um, yeah, that, that's that's my pitch for it anyway. Thanks, guys. Yeah, free content for video essays. That's the new way to sell books. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me. This was fun. Uh, thanks for coming. All right. having done so.